This is episode 57 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for being here. If you came through on the link on Syracuse.com or maybe on social media, thank you for that. But just know the best way to get new episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast is to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And the new episode will be ready and waiting for you to listen on your time on demand. We're going to have a little fun today. Not talk fantasy football per se in terms of who you should sit and who you should start in your lineups this week, but the process of becoming the biggest name in fantasy football. Syracuse University alum and ESPN fantasy football expert Matthew Barry is my guest today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. He started off at Syracuse in the early 1990s, actually made his way into Hollywood before becoming the biggest name in fantasy football. A walk down memory lane with Matthew coming up. But first, the Clayton Welch question. Syracuse lost to NC State on Thursday night, 16-10. Despite a number line of 29-39, of 300 yards and a touchdown, Syracuse fans are starting to wonder if Tommy DeVito is in fact the right quarterback for this team. His arm strength, his physical skills are unquestioned. Tommy DeVito right now is a quarterback playing hurt. He had extra padding around his torso in that game against NC State. And for three quarters, really did struggle until the offense made a push to beat NC State in the final moments of that game. Now, it kind of reminds me of that pointing Spider-Man meme. Is it Tommy DeVito? Is it an offensive line that is not only banged up, but ineffective? I dare say it's an offensive line in crisis right now. So last year, Syracuse fans were looking over the horizon and seeing Tommy DeVito pushing Eric Dungy. There were certain people, yours truly included, who called for Tommy DeVito to start over Dungy after an impressive performance against North Carolina. And that's just the thing. The big difference is last year, we knew all about Tommy DeVito. If you're someone who's calling for Clayton Welch to step in over Tommy and run the Syracuse offense, what do we really know about the Orange backup quarterback? We know he grew up in Chico, California. Aaron Rodgers was not only an influence on him, he was a neighbor. He grew up in the same neighborhood with Aaron Rodgers, went to the same college that Aaron Rodgers did before California, Boot College out there in Cali. We know that Clayton Welch is big, 6'5", 243 pounds. At one point was the Northern California Offensive Player of the Year. In 2015, led his team to a 9-3 and record, threw for 1,325 yards, 13 touchdowns and five interceptions, and intriguingly enough, also ran for 821 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground. Thus far, we have not seen Clayton Welch in any significant play for the Orange. He got in a little bit against Wagner, spring games, practices, a little bit here, a little bit there. But in the limited practices I have seen Clayton Welch, I have to be honest with you, at no point did I say, whoa, who's that kid? When you watch Tommy DeVito in practice, you can't help but gravitate towards his arm strength. But here's another intriguing thing to think about. The last time that a Syracuse backup quarterback did not see the field was 2012. Inevitably, and we're already seeing DeVito playing hurt as it is halfway through the season, the backup quarterback's going to get out there. But what kind of backup does Syracuse have? So far in prime time this year against Clemson and against NC State, Syracuse has vaunted Orange as the new fast offense, has scored a total of 16 points, making it Orange is the new flat. 
Don't forget to listen to the Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum. If you subscribe to this podcast, many of you receive it on the same feed. A new episode of that will go much more in depth into Syracuse football's issues at the midway point of the season, three and three. Let's listen in. My conversation with Matthew Barry, ESPN fantasy football expert. Hey, what do you say? Have a happy day because we're living in Syracuse. So, Matthew, take me back. Syracuse, New York, early 1990s. Matthew Barry's at Syracuse University. What does he want to be? Warm. He, 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 he wants to be warm because he's freezing at all times. You know, I grew up in Texas, so I wasn't used to it. Um, uh, what do I want to be? Uh, I think I want to be a sitcom writer at the time. You know, it's interesting. I had a friend that, uh, my, my friend Adam Shapiro, also Syracuse class in 92, and he did a bunch of stuff with uh, WJPZ and WAER, the two student uh, radio stations at Syracuse. And uh, he was doing a bunch of sports. He was a broadcast journalism major. And I always was jealous that he got to talk sports because I was passionate about sports and I loved it. But I was, I think what I really wanted to do was I wanted to be a sitcom writer. I was doing a student sitcom at the student TV station over there. And, uh, you know, that was sort of my, uh, my dream at the time was to try to make it in Hollywood as a, a sitcom writer and producer. What was the student sitcom that you did? It was called Uncle Bobo's World of Fun, and it was about a low-rent uh, children's TV show host. Actually, um, it, it predated Krusty the Clown on The Simpsons, uh, but it was sort of the same premise, which is just sort of this, like, you know, uh, beer-drinking, woman-chasing uh, kid show host who worked for, like, kind of a low-rent uh, UHF station, local USA station. So the idea was it was this low-rent TV show because we knew that, the production value wouldn't be particularly good, and there'd be you know, you know, boom, 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 microphones in the shot and shadows and everything like that. So that was our our premise was to try to do that. Could a well executed YouTube search pull up some footage of this, or does it I not exist anymore? It's a good question. I, I don't know if anything exists, possibly, but I mean, again, like we you think about remember this is 1990, 1991. This is pre you know pre really the internet. I mean, the internet was available, like, but. I mean, I remember checking my email maybe once a day in college, maybe right. once a couple of times a week. Like, so, and we we used to shoot it on these three quarter inch tapes that don't even exist anymore. I came back recently, a couple years uh, last year actually, uh, Citrus Hill TV or Citrus TV, I should say, which was the which is now what the student TV station is called. It was called something different back in my day, but they had me back. They they gave me an award and inducted me into the Hall of Fame, and so I came back and. Uh, it was a, a huge effort for them to try to pull footage from those shows and uh, even just show them at the banquet. So I, I'd be surprised to know if there's any footage. But maybe, yeah, I would maybe. Lo- I would love to see it. I'll have to go uh, talk to my friends up there at Citrus TV and, uh, and see what they got left over from that. So you mentioned you're here and you want to be a sitcom writer, had your eye on sports, were a sports fan, and you did get into that Hollywood world a little bit and got to work with George Carlin, which, I mean, that how amazing was that, working with George Carlin? It was an amazing thing because he's as brilliant as he is on stage and as brilliant as a comedian uh, as he was, he was an even better person. Like, first guy on set, last guy to leave, knew everyone's name after the first day, just 
an unbelievably sweet, generous man who was the complete opposite of his onstage persona, which was, you know, kind of very angry and, um, and so kind of the sweetest, gentlest man. And, uh, it was an amazing, it was actually a little in my, like my first job in Hollywood. And so it was uh, really incredible to, uh, to get to work for him for a year. So you work for George Conner. By the way, his football versus baseball bit is one of my all-time favorite one of the best. bits. Top yeah. five. Top five no. easily right there. Yeah, Colin's amazing. So I, yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a sitcom writer, so I, I worked as a production assistant, as a PA, which is a fancy word for basically a gopher. I, you know, I, gra- I answered phones, I, I ran errands, I got lunch, that kind of thing, and did that for a couple of years and wrote sample scripts with my writing partner, a guy named Eric Abrams, who I met at Syracuse, who I'd done the student sitcom with, and so we ended up getting, uh, getting some jobs. Uh, we got an agent, and we got jobs on sitcoms, and we wrote on a, a number of uh, shows that had uh, very famous people in them and producing them that were not very good, and um, and you know we worked with we worked with Diane English on the show that wasn't Murphy Brown, we worked with Jim Burroughs uh, you know on the show that wasn't Friends, um, you know I mean like so you know and um, so we worked with really talented people on the shows that we just couldn't catch a break, but we did work we did write on Married with Children, so I wrote on Married with Children. Did 28 episodes of Married with Children, and um, which was a lot of fun. And uh, then my writing partner and I transitioned into movies, and we started writing a lot of movies. So, Matthew, you brought it up as, as you transitioned out of Hollywood, got into the fantasy football world. So when you're at Syracuse, like, yeah, we're barely checking email like once a day. What were the early stages of your website like technically? Did you have to do everything? Like, with those first stages of your roto world website i imagine like you're working on that 25 hours a day yeah i mean to be to be clear roto world was not mine so roto world was a was it was and is a website that uh it's now owned by nbc but at the time it was owned by another company and i just wrote for them so in 1999 um there was a I was fantasy sports was my passion right I'd, I'd been playing since I was 14 years old I played it all through college like uh, fantasy sports was my passion and in 1999 again the internet is prevalent but this is now it's AOL and CompuServe and like you've got mail like that was like a novel <laughs> thing right you were excited wow I've got an email let me check that out like it was a cool n- novel thing um, and this website Roto World was advertising for writers and so they said uh, I wrote them a note saying I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood. Uh, but fantasy sports my passion. I think it'd be a lot of fun just to write a com on the side, you know. And uh, they wrote me back the next day and said, "We looked you up on IMDb. Married with Children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired." So because I wrote on Married with Children, I got a chance to write a free column on a website, a low-trafficked uh, fantasy sports website. So I wrote for free for Roto World for a couple of years, um, and then just to sort of answer your question, in 2004. I had developed a big enough following, and people were starting to make money online, not significantly, but they were starting to make money online, at least in the fantasy sports space. And so I thought um, that this was an opportunity to maybe that I could do something. Then again, yeah, just earn a couple of bucks on the side. And so, uh, so I started, I left Roto World and started my own website, and that was fairly primitive. Um, I hired someone to build it for me because I'm not a technical guy, but uh, it was a you know, fairly primitive uh, site. But it got the job done. So in those early days, when you're writing your column, you're passionate about fantasy football, you're playing it, who was your Matthew Barry? Who were the guys you were tu- turning to for, for advice and, and to kind of guide you along the way? And who should I sit? Who should I start this week kind of thing? Oh, that's interesting. You know what? I That's a good question. I don't know that there was, you know, 
I was a big fantasy baseball player back in the day, and so Ron Chandler, uh, who you know used to do a site called Baseball HQ, was uh, was somebody who uh, you know has since become a friend. And um, but uh, he was somebody that I thought was you know really smart and sharp. Uh, my now colleague Eric Carabell here at ESPN, you know, I used to read him all the time. Still do. You know, he's great. Uh, a guy named Brandon Funston, who's a friend, uh, he was he was at ESPN and then went to Yahoo, and now he's at the Athletic. Um, so uh, you know, a couple of those guys. Matthew, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fantasy football world at the NFL level and, and just the, what it's grown to at this point. But I started playing college fantasy this okay. year. You know, being in a college town, Syracuse. You know, we're talking the day after they lost to NC State, so let's just not talk about that game. But is there a future, is is there a world where college fantasy, I, I don't think it'll be as big as the NFL, but is there still like room for growth there? I'm surprised it's not bigger than it is, or am I kind of misjudging that? Uh, it's a good question. Listen, I think there's room for growth in all aspects of fantasy, right? So, so just to answer your general's question, sure, do I think more people will play college fantasy in the future than currently do? 100%. I think that's the true with fantasy football and baseball and NBA and you know, every fantasy sport. Having said that, um, having said that one concern that I, um, that I would say is, is that what's weird is, is that it, it, college fantasy has been tried for a number of years, and it's never really taken off. And my... With no, with no data to back me up. This is purely anecdotal. But my feeling is, is that it doesn't lend itself to fantasy the way that the NFL does. But the NFL does because there's 32 teams, and you know, because, so there's, there's less players, there's less teams. In college, you've got hundreds of teams, hundreds of players, um, and not that people aren't passionate about the NFL, because of course they are. But it feels like you know, in college, like if you're a, if you're an ACC fan, you're not only watching a, you know Syracuse, you care about you know uh, NC State and UNC and and you know Virginia and, and Florida State and you know all the teams, right? Same with like you know SEC or whatever. Pick your conference. So it just becomes sort of un, it's a unwieldy because there's so many teams and players, and then b it becomes less necessary because the people that are in college football don't need a rooting interest already. Like you, if you're a Bama fan, you care desperately what not only Alabama does, but what Auburn does, what Florida does, right? What Texas right. A&M does, and so I, I, there's not as much of a need for you know a rooting interest in games that you don't have anyone play, you know, that you don't have an allegiance to. Am I making sense? Like so, like I'm a Redskins fan, um, but like whatever. You know, I watched uh, Patriots Giants last night because I was starting Darius Slayton in the league, and I'm playing against a guy that had Tom Brady. And like, you know, I watch every NFL game because I have a fantasy player in it, or I'm against a fantasy player in it. Speaking of which, in your team last night, who you had playing? What's your process like with your fantasy teams? Like, when do you set the lineup? How do you track it all? I mean, you're giving everybody else such great advice, but when it comes to your teams, like, how much time do you can you these days devote to it because you're so busy with everything else? Uh, it gets it gets uh, challenging, and I'm in 16 leagues this year, which Ooh. is way too many. So, I mean, I will be perfectly honest. So, on Thursdays, I do a, a TV show, uh, the the fantasy show on ESPN Plus, and I set my lineup literally during commercial breaks. And what I do is like I'm just like, all right, who's playing on Thursday night? The thing is, is that the prep that I do is what I've done all week long. I'm constantly prepping and researching because that's my job is to you know present that information in in my column, in my podcast, and the TV show. 
my rankings, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so there it's just a matter of th- Thursday, who do I have playing in the Thursday night game? Do I want to start them or not? And so I go through all 16 teams, and that's what I just do for Thursdays. And then Saturday night, after I put the kids to bed, I uh, go down to my office and I start prepping for fantasy football now, Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And uh, I'm going to be on TV for a little over three hours on Sunday morning. And so I, you know, I sort of prep about what I want to say and, and who I'm going to talk about and, and narrow that focus, right? And uh, when I'm done with all that, then before I go to bed, the last thing I do is I set all my lineups. Now, you brought up your kids. Are, are they as into it as you are? Because my no. daughter just turned 13, and I think she's starting to kind of like want to hang out with Dad a little bit, watch a little more football. And I think fantasy football is, is the best way to, to teach her about the game and, and how to study it and how to get involved with it. So if she kind of shows more of an interest, I think that's maybe the best way to get her into it. What do you think? Uh, there's no question, and I think, uh, you know, I play in a league with my kids, with my wife and, and my kids, and, uh, you know, I have twin daughters that are seven. They're a little too young, but, uh, you know, we have uh, my wife and I, we have three boys that are 21, 19, and 15, and so they all play, and so that's fun. It's been a lot of fun sort of to, you know, talk trash with them and negotiate a trade with them, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's great. And have they beat you in a league yet? Sure, sure, right. sure, yeah. So I mean I don't you know I don't I don't go uh, you know I don't go uh, you know full uh, full three you know whatever you want to call it I, yeah, I don't go zero to ninety in those leagues you know I'm just uh, that that league is you know for fun I, I'm happier when I lose in that league Matthew I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time uh, reminiscing a little bit with us here uh, we love uh, reading your work hearing your work uh, watching your work and knowing that a Syracuse guy is out there uh, leading the way in the fantasy football world thanks so much for joining us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast and we'll catch up with you down the road I appreciate that Syracuse obviously is near and dear to my heart so uh, appreciate the uh, the kind words and uh, go Cuse. Thank you for listening to episode 57 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast with Matthew Berry of ESPN. I hope you can listen back to some previous episodes we did. Episode 56 was with Rick Burton and Scott Petoniak, the authors of Forever Orange, the story of Syracuse University that approaches its 150th anniversary. Episode 55 was a conversation with SiriusXM, Mad Dog Radio host, and the host of Time to Shine on the CBS Sports Network. Adam Shock. My name is Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.